0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 50, the big 5-0 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. If this is your first time listening to Inside View podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you go back to episode 1 and have a listen. Please do rate, review, tell your friends, family who may know about the podcast, it means a huge amount to us. Any interaction that you may have, please do tag On The Ball Team Building on any of the social media platforms. Big shout out to our sponsors, GOG Sports and Vintry Harbour Asset Management for, co- for the continued support. Thank you very much guys, we, we really appreciate it. It's now time to bring on guest number 50 of an Inside View podcast and it's Connacht rugby star and Irish rugby international, Jack Cartley. He has over 150 caps for his province and is their all-time leading point scorer. What many people wouldn't know is that Cartley played underage soccer with Ireland and played Roscommon minor football. To date, Cartier has 10 caps for his country and is eager to add more in the future. There's no doubt we have a huge amount to cover, so let's bring him on. Hi Jack, welcome to the Inside View podcast and you have the honour of being the 50th guest. Um, we recorded this in a, a week or two in advance, but how are you keep uh, during these difficult times?
1: Uh, yeah, cheers for having me on, Jamie. Um, yeah, no, I've, um, look, fortunately I've been alright, we've been kind of, but we've been having games kind of week in week out now, so um, in somewhat way, it's quite quite normal for us. Um, bear obviously kind of the the daily restrictions in terms of our training schedule and that, but um, yeah, look, i have been fortunate enough; I've, we've been able to carry on with our job. Um, and I suppose it's probably only the only thing not seeing family and friends is probably the the thing that I have I probably miss the most. Um, well, as as I said, I kind of had the distraction of rugby since then. Um, since this time last year really so um I, I can't complain to be honest
0: are you very much kind of in in bubbles that restricted bubbles over the last couple of weeks
1: uh yeah we have been like like you know what i mean it's not you, you can call it a bubble but you go home to your house and you're still going to the supermarkets and stuff so it's very much it has been trying to be quite restrictive in the amount of people you're seeing um so it is a bubble per se, but then when you're, you know, leaving the sports rounds, then it's not, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And it's just about being smart, I suppose, like I, everyone else has been in terms of the amount of people you're seeing and what you're doing. Yeah, No,
0: definitely, definitely. And, um, you touched on it there that it's kind of some bit normal at the moment, but we say back, you know, back last year when, you know, restrictions were quite severe and, you know, rugby was stopped. How do you find that psychologically? Oh, he was, the way it was great apart from that though
1: yeah um, I suppose probably the, the yeah I kind of touched on it there not seeing family and stuff of like a, two, a young niece and a young nephew so I was probably not seeing them was was tough I think quite in, in a sporting sense what was frustrating was probably that I kind of went through a difficult spell in terms of form and then managed to kind of come out the other side of it and felt I was playing good rugby and then the season kind of Abruptly finished. So it was a bit of frustration in terms of that. And then the fact that, you know, I was 27, turning 28, it's like probably the prime of your career. So it was a frustration in the fact that, you know, I had a bit of momentum or felt I had a bit of momentum. And then, you know, I was kind of just all of a sudden gone. And then you had to rebuild and start again. And um, I looked, there was, I suppose, different challenges and there was different ways to keep motivated. And um, it was a nice change up, I suppose, to train kind of for yourself individually but I suppose as the longer that went on you missed the camaraderie of kind of seeing lads on a daily basis and um, like most of my mates um, would either be in Dublin or the States now so you kind of missed that interaction on a day-to-day basis kind of from seeing the lads so once we got back into the sports grounds it definitely you know you could definitely see the the difference like we'd spend a lot of our time with each other outside of the sports grounds as well so um, once we kind of got back to that it was uh, a bit easier.
0: I'm gonna say, looking back over the last twelve months, um, or I suppose you know, since you know, before things kind of came back to normal for you, um, what would you have learned? Like, what has COVID kind of taught you? Um,
1: I actually thought about it. I was thinking about today. One of the, I, I did find it, especially in the early part, um, like because you had such a a, a long period of time, I felt it was a bit of. I always felt a bit of pressure to be doing something or in some sort of self improvement to be getting you know to because you weren't doing that and just like some i don't know some sort of improvement or to be getting better and i felt that when i didn't do that in certain days that i felt kind of a pressure building on myself or kind of nearly almost kind of resenting yourself for not doing that at times and then a week go by and you're like oh you haven't done anything so it was probably just getting the balance of that you know not being too anal in the, in trying to get loads of things done and, you know Sometimes you just kinda have to roll with it a bit, you know what I mean? Um so I think that was probably probably it. Like I remember during lockdown, I was getting up at like seven to walk the dog and I was like, All right, I have to get I have to keep my routine here, like and then I have to train at this time, I have to eat at this time. Um which look, I suppose in one sense did help me. But if I didn't do it one of the days, like I remember I'd be like catching up myself and probably you know, it, it was nearly kind of nearly OCD in some sort of sense because I was like probably a nightmare to live with with my missus and with one of the lads who live here with me as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing isn't it? that kind of I don't know, is it the, the social media frenzy or, or the, the online frenzy that we all kind of bought into around that time? Do um, you know, everyone's running the 5Ks at record time, but that's uh, that's another, <laughs> another another day's discussion. Um, we always kind of you know although it's great but you kind of had that pressure as well um but it's it's all about managing it and you see there that you were part of the the tackle your feelings campaign are you still part of that by? Um, yeah
1: i'm doing it now for and um, we actually just had a call there last week just in terms of what kind of the plan is for the next 12 months so yeah i've been doing that <laughs> for uh, i've always kind of been involved with rugby players ireland so and um, I signed on to do that uh, last year. So I I've, I've found it very rewarding. Um, it was probably a bit different or more, a lot different than a lot of the things I would have done before. And um, what I think, you know, like some of the messages I would have got um, from people who maybe have went through tough times, it was definitely something that I was delighted I did. Um, and that's what kind of made the decision easier to do it again this year.
0: What exactly is your role in it? <clears throat>
1: Uh, yeah, so effectively, they just there's five amb- different ambassadors. Um, and it, the, obviously, the the aim of the Tackle Your Feelings campaign is to be more for, to encourage people to be pro- more proactive with their and um, looking after their mental health. Um, and I, in, along with that, then obviously, Tackle Your Feelings have um, a Tackle Your Feelings app on the App Store, which uh, has grown. I think it's like ten thousand downloads or something like that now at the moment, which is which is great. So I suppose it was, if you th- you know, people probably think that sports or sports and um, men or women or athletes kind of you know it's kind of picture perfect all the time. And I think it was just about peeling back a few layers to kind of um give a better appreciation to people that you know everyone kind of goes through the same troubles and you know, if it, if it makes it easier for me, if it's easy that I open up about something that maybe it might be easier for someone else to be proactive in looking after their mental health as well.
0: And that's something we'll delve into further um, because I, I, I'd like to, to get more of an insight into that and your own, um, you know, your own background into into that journey. Yeah. Uh, just when this episode actually is going to go out, um, you'll be in the middle of the Rainbow Cup Um should be should be entertaining, right? Because there's three new rules have to be implemented or proposed to be implemented. Um what's your your interpretation of, of the three of them?
1: Uh I I like the goal line dropout one, I suppose as as a ten, oh. you hate having a defensive five meter scrum. So when the ball gets held up over the line, um you're kinda of like, oh jeez, they're gonna number eights. can be picking here and coming down your channel. So I suppose in that sense it's uh it's pretty positive. Um, I like the challenge the captain's challenge I think at times in rugby there can be a lot of like chirping and, and mounting to the ref so at least um, or it has came in more so than there maybe would have been before so I think the fact that there's that avenue for the captain to do it it might be done in a more kind of progressive way and then the red card I think the red card thing is good as well because you know you can see a lot of these kind of high tackles that are occurring um, and it is correct for to look after the safety of players, but a lot of them are unavoidable as well. So I think if some of them happen in the first ten minutes in the game is completely altered then for the remaining 70. So I think it's good in that um in that facet that is, it's been brought in.
0: We'll bring it back to your early days, um, because I just I just uh, I find your your early days very, very interesting. Um very interesting insights and stories. And uh, so you, you were brought up in um, Kiltum by Athlone and your club would have been the famous St. Saint Bridget, Saint Bridget's, GA. Um, What was your, your youth like growing up? Um,
1: yeah, I'm very happy one. look. I would have been going from pitch to pitch nearly every day. Um, So I have been in St. Bridget's for GA. And then obviously when I went into school, the Mars and Athlone would have been had a lot of sports. So I thought it would have been very busy, like... um always playing sports and always playing it was predominantly ga to be honest and it was when i was very young it was just, um because st british were obviously doing quite well it was you know uh, it was such an enjoyable place to be around and um, going to matches and then you know train during the week and going to matches the weekend it was it was very enjoyable and um, i actually did, I used to hate rugby to be honest i used to hate the cold and um, yeah so i was kind of as mad how it flipped and on its head, kind of a couple of years later.
0: On reflection, why do you, why you know what made you change your opinion, or you know what was your appetite towards rugby? Then,
1: um, to be honest, it was probably, I'd I'd probably say it was it was the one I was most successful at from an an early age, or I excelled at the most. Um, like say when I went when I was playing soccer, you know you go up the Dublin and you can see that there was. You know, you kind of were in, when you were in Athlone or in the ADSL League, you kind of, yeah, you could be one of the top players in that league, but then you'd go up to Dublin and you'd be, like, you would have seen, I'd been playing with lads who went on to have, like, serious premiership careers, and you could just see that you were, like, that, that bit off. Um, so in one sense, I was kind of happy that I had the, the cop on to know I probably wasn't going to be able to kick on and become a professional soccer player. Uh, and then in terms of between soccer and or rugby and Gaelic, when it came down to just the two of them, it kind of came to a shootout between like, right, do I want to do this as a, as a potential living? Um, and that's kind of what, what kind of made the decision for me.
0: So there's a number of things I want to delve into here now. So the, with the soccer and we have the, the football, um, you played just for the Kerry folk as well. I found it very interesting. You, you're you a part of the panel, or did you play that day against Kerry? In... I did, yeah.
1: Yeah. We lost
0: that for just, extra time, extra time. Yeah, I went to extra time. Yeah, and um, yeah, Kieran Hurley actually came on and he scored a 1 1 at the end just to, to get it over the line. Um, was that kind of the turning point that you decided, Look, I have to, I'm going to go down the, the rugby route now, or, or you know, what exactly made you go down the rugby, rugby route? Um, it a, a oh, a career, but yeah, it was.
1: So so kind of what happened I was it was that was when I was in uh, I was in I think I was in fifth year and um, so I was actually doing like the Connacht Academy down in Galway and they put us up down there for the summers and uh, and then it, that was done with in conjunction with playing on Roscommon Miners and it's actually like they were so ahead of their time in terms of it's sort of two GA sorry so Gary Winn, our Roscommon coach and Nigel Carlin who's the attack coach now at Connacht they um. They actually both met and then managed obviously game time, training time. Uh and it was actually like quite complimentary to, to both. Like so we weren't being burnt out. Uh, we were able to perform at the weekend for us common, and then we were able to train kind of during the midweek. So it was like you probably wouldn't even hear things happening like that now, you know what I mean? There's such a pull and drag um for players. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of how that happened, and then so I was a year underage at that stage for us common. and kind of after that, I was like, right, I want to go full steam for rugby. And I remember then I, at the end of that year, I didn't get into, um, I actually didn't get into the Connacht Academy. So I was kind of like, I gave up playing football and then for it not to materialize. So I ended up going to college and anyway I go away and did the first six months. I was playing senior rugby for Buccaneers back in Atlanta. And, you know, when you're a young lad at that age, like you're in college in Galway, you can only imagine what you, like you'd be going out on a, a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. And so I kind of said to Connock that I'd like, I'd do the training kind of during the week. But as college kind of came into full flow, I gradually just stopped going to Connock training. I was like, you know what, I'm not, I'm wasting my time here. And then Nigel Carlin then rang me around Christmas and he was like, look, uh. There's a contract here for you next year if you come back into training. I was like, right, give me three more weeks. So I hammered out the uh, three more weeks of college and then uh, started going back into the kind of training. Then
0: you still must be doing fairly well with Buccaneers at the time, though. Even though you're still, you know, enjoying the whole college experience.
1: Yeah, it was mad. Hangovers weren't a of thing back then. Like you're <laughs> able to, they able to play Thursday nights and then um, play on a Saturday. But it's mad just kind of like. Yeah, like how naive I could be going to matches for Buccaneers, like and you'd be like you you'd be getting out of bed at twelve o'clock and the match would be at half two when you're like looking back on that now, I'm like, what was I doing back then? Like was <laughs> good like, times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good times, but like you, you it's mad kind of if you had the, the know-all of what you know now, like I suppose you could have given yourselves four or five more years development. Like I I know it's kind of getting a balance between both. If I'd have been a bit more I suppose, knew what kind of the future had uh, in store for me, I definitely would have been uh, a lot more professional in my uh, approach to it all.
0: Well, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that, you know, you still must have been doing extremely well on a college lifestyle and a college diet, you know, to to still, you know, to get that contract with, with Connock. So it was uh, a testament, I suppose, to your your natural ability at the time. Before we, we delve into that, um. Rugby didn't you know your talents weren't, weren't just shown there? They're really shown in your time in um Marisitz College. I could be pronouncing that. Incorrect. Maris yeah. College, yeah. Maris College in in You were you were called into the junior cup team in first year. Is that right? Uh yeah, I got called in for. Is uh, how did you manage to find that out? I got <laughs> called
1: in for uh, a match. uh from first year on the wing. I absolutely shit myself. Like I was only about thirteen. I was playing against like fifteen, sixteen year olds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh I believe there was another um Irish International and would be he went to, to Linster um a well, you know, a couple of years ago, Robbie Hinshaw, you would have grown up with him. Were you the same age or
1: yeah, so myself and Robbie he was um a year behind me in school, but so his his dad actually would have been my rugby coach the whole way up until uh, under 19s So like we would have grown up with each other. Um would have grown up each other, you know, in each other's houses, gone to matches. and um, my old man then would have like been team manager for the Buccaneers team that uh, both Robbie and I played on. So um yeah, I get on with them, really good mates with them. and um, it's nice when we were up in Irish camp together to kind of catch up again because it's such helter skelter uh during the season and kind of ones in Atlone or one's in Dublin or Galway, so you never get to properly catch up. So um yeah, it's it's mad kind of he's born on the Westmead side of Ross or Westmead side of At-Lone. I'm on the Ross Common side, so I think that's his excuse for being able to go play with Leinster.
0: He's I, like, I, only, I never knew that um, Atlone was was you know was split until I started looking into, into your, your, your background. Um, it was really immense rivalry up there, especially when they're two different provinces, not alone, just counties.
1: Yeah, even like a couple of years ago when St. Bridget's and Gary Castle were, you know, Gary Castle went on to win All Ireland. I think St. Bridget's. I don't. Know, did I, I don't know if they played each other or not. Did they? I
0: think they might they were, have. But
1: they were on either side. Like I remember. um Bridget's were in one semi-final, and Gary Castle were on the other side. Like the the rivalry between you know, like even GA clubs is is massive. And then you end up playing with each other when you go to to school. Like you know, what I mean, we we playing with lads from. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's like as it's mad as Buccaneers then is I think on the Connacht side of, or on the Leinster side of um, Athlone. Or yeah, so at, look, Buccaneers on the Athlones, Buccaneers on the Leinster side of Athlone but you're playing Connacht and then when you're in school then maris I think just decided to pick whichever one they could like win something <laughs> at. So soccer, <laughs> soccer's played in Connacht, but um, Gaelic football's played in Leinster so it's a bit mad.
0: Jesus, that's gas. And uh, look, let's delve into the the soccer element because I, you, when you are on with um Brian Murphy there and Andrew Trimble who was it probably last year. Um, you you touched on it, but I'd like to kind of you know delve into the whole story. And look, I could be interpreted this wrong. Um, you were told at the time that there was a transfer embargo. Um, but the truth only came out recently, was it?
1: Uh, yeah, I think people think that's that like that's literally the truth, and I think. I, I I kind of see comments or seeing comments on Twitter and stuff, kinda of people slate my parents. Which <laughs> I was like, I didn't come out and say that just like my parents slated. But uh yeah, that's what that's what I was told. Um I like didn't think Anton of it at all, to be honest. And then like found out a couple of years later that there was like no embargo. Like And
0: did like did did your own friends ever question it or, or anything I, I didn't really tell that
1: that many people to be honest that I got it to be honest. I actually I hadn't, so um it was kind of one of them things Like, it was, it was a good few lads from Athlone around that age at the time who were getting trials like Robbie Benson who plays who used Cloud Dock, and he plays at Shelburne or he plays with uh Rovers now. He was getting them. So I think it was just like it was fellas in a year or two above me. So I think it was just kind of, you know, a regular occurrence for lads. So um I hadn't really been going around saying it to, to too many lads.
0: You we were captain in the Kindi Cup team, though, like so. You must have been handy enough as well. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Look, I was. I definitely was. I had a height advantage to a lot of the lads when the ball was on the floor, and it was a different story at times. Um, but yeah, it's, I suppose it's one of them. It's kind of similar to what I talked and I chatted to you about earlier on about kind of if I had an understanding of where where I am now, then the players who I was playing with or. Like, I mean Matt Doherty was a centre back at the time and he was had managed to keep him out of the game out of starting for a few games, but kind of looking at what, what he went on and done. But to be honest, I I yeah, I think I was just very good in the air. So it stuck me in centre back and that was kinda of got a year or two out of it.
0: That moment when you were told in two thousand nineteen, um what what did you feel? Like what are the emotions going through your your you know, how yeah. do you feel after it?
1: about the embargo yeah uh genuinely i actually didn't mind at all like i'd probably just accomplished my goal like my dream of playing with ireland um and yeah i i really didn't care at all like i mean i was kind of in a place where i was like right i've got an irish cap now and i need to push on and you know play next week get it to world cup and um, so I didn't really give it a, and I haven't, I haven't given it a second of thought. The only thing I've given a second of thought was maybe if, you know, what, what would happen to me if I played soccer for a year or two longer. But I don't think I'd be in the position I am now, so I'm pretty happy with what I went. It's just, it's mad how kind of things can can work out for you
0: it's pure netflix stuff like that that story (laughs) in fairness like i just i couldn't believe when i was reading it i i I couldn't believe that your parents actually kept it quiet for for that long
1: Uh, oh people were very annoyed at that i i I literally think it was people more people were more annoyed at it than i was like i was like i really don't mind at all like i I can understand why but i couldn't couldn't care really to be honest uh... My my parents were very good to me when i was growing up so I think there, if they thought that that was the the right thing to do at that age, um, look, it, I wouldn't do it to my kids, but I can understand why they why they did it, um, and the upbringing I had, I was very fortunate with, so can't blame them. Do
0: you think it's important? Because I think you have you have um a university degree, don't you? You yeah, you've, yeah. um, I know a lot of the rugby lads would only you know their kind of space, also degree could go on for you know a three-year degree or four-year degree could go on for five or six years because they do two modules or whatever, a semester or whatever the case may be. How do you you bash it all out in in the three or four years with being a professional rugby player as well? Um, Look, I definitely
1: think that the rugby schedule wasn't as taxing as it is at the moment. and There probably wasn't as big an emphasis as there is now for like personal development with rugby players, as so sorry, sorry it's, it, there's a larger degree now pushed on the players that look, you need to be looking after your personal development. And um, Georgia Lyons, who works with rugby players, Ireland, she's, um, well, she was up until COVID was based and housed in Connacht, And um, so she's very proactive in helping lads kind of do that. I just trash went out in three years. Um did I get the most out of it? Kind of similar to a bit of a team coming up here. To like, did I get the most out of it? No, I didn't. But, um, I just thought it was important to to get it done. Um, so I was able to solely focus on rugby. Um, because the kind of the way it worked out, my first year I didn't have a contract. Second year I was academy contract. I heard your academy contract, and then straight after that I went into. Uh, pro contract so i managed to get it done in three years and then when i turned professional then uh not that i had any distractions but it was a le- one less Um but yeah look i i haven't i haven't went back and done anything as of yet i think the best way to learn is being engulfed and being immersed in in something um, and <laughs> i know we'll go on to talk about um my my family or not my family but the family business um and I think the only way you can kind of get to learn is being truly kind of in and amongst it um, and seeing how things are done. Uh, obviously, there's a degree of um understanding you can get from studying and stuff like that, but I think you have to be fully immersed in it.
0: I could not agree with you more because you know I, I went through the college and I did a master's and the practicality and the reality of stuff are, you know, they're completely different, like, you know, in, in business and, but really um,
1: you know, like at the end of the day, and uh, it's probably one of the things like I, I've got from rugby, it's comes down to like your like your people skills and your ability to, you know, understand what makes other people tick. and and yeah, just like to understand if or to recognize if someone isn't having a good day. And I think that's one of the things that definitely the tap your feelings thing is open up to me is like the understanding of how people tick differently. Um and, and like understanding the cues if someone isn't like you know having a good day and not just asking them oh, how are you getting on like actually really taking the conversation past like uh how are you what's the crack like really asking them the the nitty-gritty questions or just even just like listening to people i think that's definitely um something i've taken from that and it's definitely massively beneficial for me
0: Well says you know as is- as males and you know in in, in society with well, our age group because we're, we're we're more or less the same age, um, you know, we're always kind of brought up like, you know, obviously to, to show your feelings, but then you can see the older generation is keeping you know, we're keeping the feelings back. And we were looking at that, um, hopefully generations to come will be more open with their feelings and and, you know, we'll be able to talk about it. And because you can see you now, uh, Jack, like you see the social media is, you know, while there's great benefits. The negatives are, are quite, um, quite scary as well.
1: Oh fact, yeah, well, like even just see it the last, like, yeah, some of the stuff like, like even just even the way that, the outrage and the super like in the super league and stuff. And mm. I know your man Ed Woodward. Like, I'm a United fan. I wouldn't be his biggest fan, but even some of the stuff that kind of happened to him and his family, like, down couple last couple of months, like people outside his house. You know, people make a joke, but I think it's kinda could of, be quite scary at times to be fair.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And look we'll we'll actually we'll bring it back to uh just you kind of touching it, but I'd like to i like to get your uh, your insight. When Bridget's played when St. Bridget's played Cross McLean in two thousand eleven, um I think that was actually a cracker of a game. I think Cross McLean just got over the line in the end, the but then in two thousand thirteen, um he beat Bellymk Kickham's in the dollar and final I used think you were probably in and in and around the conic upped in you probably had your yeah. senior contract around in. How are you feeling? Because you you know led you grew up probably on that team.
1: It's actually a very funny story. So um I'd made to um so Shane Layden, who played Ross Common for me and Connor Finn they were a year below me in school. They were playing in the senior cup final for us grey and that's on the exact same day the 17th of March uh, as the, the club all learn final, uh, so I was in college in Galway and didn't have a car. And Nigel carlin and again, uh, he was gone up to watch this match, Um, to like watch the lads play, and because the, so they were going getting get in contracts the following year. So I asked him like, could I pop in the car for a lift with him?" So I got the lift up to Dublin, uh, and then when we got to, we parked outside somewhere. I can't remember where we went. It was we got a train in, anyways, and he was gone. I had to tell him I was like, "Oh look, I'm not going to the Ross Gray match. I'm going to St. Bridget's." So you can imagine how that went down. Um so yeah, I remember going to that then. Uh Ross Gray ended up losing, Bridges won. and um, I like remember then after like remember being in the stadium when like Frankie Dolan was kicking, I was like, Oh god, I'd love to be I'd love to be down there and the, like probably wouldn't have been involved, been on the bench or something, but and, like it was mad to see the amount of people like sure the whole the parish was up there like in Crow Park on the day. Um but yeah, he's only thought of that. There, like I've, I was only talking about that there recently with with Nigel. Funny enough, he he couldn't believe that I was like, gone into gone to Crow Park and then he was going to the RDS. He still fighting you to to bring you into the the setup. Uh, he did. Yeah, he's. <laughs> um, to be fair to him, I, I probably wouldn't be in the position I am if it was. Um, if it wasn't for Nigel Carlin. To be fair, I owe him a lot in my career. Looking back in your career, do you think it's important to have?
0: I wouldn't say um, role models, but yeah, I suppose role models in a way, but people to you know, to take you under their wing. Uh
1: yeah, I think to navigate you definitely through the the highs and lows and definitely when the when when you're up too high, my old man always has a saying is like when things are going well, keep your head in the muck. Um and yeah, I think like I never really understood it until kind of you know, when things were going well, you probably kind of can get carried away with yourself a bit. And then conversely, the same can happen then when, you know, performances aren't going well and you can get yourself in nearly a momentum of playing poorly. Um, And that's an understanding of like, how do you take yourself out of that situation? Kind of how do you have the presence of mind to navigate through it? And firstly, to get yourself back to thinking in the moment, because usually when you're kind of in them positions where you're not playing well, all you're thinking about is the game last week and you're like, oh, I made this mistake. And then come Friday night or Thursday, you have a match the next day and all your mental energy has been wasted on a performance that happened seven weeks or seven days ago that no one really cares about. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that was one of the things that I definitely found from my earlier part of the career. And I think, look, I think you have, I think you have, players have to have it. You have to have a period in your career where things don't go smoothly. Like probably the only player that I can think of that hasn't had a tough period, it's probably Brian O'Driscoll, but then before he actually ended up finishing up, he got dropped for the Lions, so I don't know, I I personally think anyways, to a degree, the, the ups and downs are definitely what what make you, and obviously they're shit when you're going through them, but like when you come out the other side, you're so much a more rounded player in person, and you're definitely more resilient in terms of like, if it was to happen to you again in terms of form, you definitely know how to to navigate
0: through it, you touched on something there, and you know you'd see with rugby players, well, more specifically, we say number tens, and in 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 um in uh, in NFL as well, you see it with quarterbacks. Um, but I should only know NFL players, but we say we go in that number tens in rugby. Um, you know, you seem to be very, uh, you know, you're the key of the team, um, and you pull the strings. When you miss a kick, how do you move on and don't leave that affect you? As you kind of alluded to there, that you know you're looking back to seven days ago and you might had a bad game. Um, I believe that might have taken years to develop to develop that resilience. How do you, yeah, how do you develop that resilience? Would say. Um,
1: well, I think firstly it has to happen to you where you have a bad like a bad experience that you understand kind of what it feels like, Um I've I personally try to do as much as I can during the week to, you know, put myself in position in training or when I'm kicking that replicate a match. And obviously you're never gonna have you're never gonna have the exact same scenarios per se, but um I suppose like even just thinking back kind uh, of from games recently, like I probably haven't kicked as well as I've I've kicked other years this year. So it's definitely about if I've made a mistake trying to do the next thing really well, like whether it be I know that, is, that sounds cliche, but say if we missed the kick and we get a 22 restart to us, just about like end up get, getting back into our shape and not trying to, you know, make up for that little miss, not not trying to make up for that miss kick with something big or like something that's going to like change the game. Just literally, if it's playing off, an next phase off of 10, I just put the lads in the right areas of the field, get an understanding of kind of if the momentum's with us or not with us. If it's with us, keep the ball. If it's against us, kind of look for space in the backfield, and um, and then like the the main kind of way I go off it is like keep the ball in front of my forwards. So if they're making carries and getting over the gain line, like well, so be it. lads. you kind of keep firing on, and then if it happens that we're not, then to look for look for space, and um, whether that be in the air or kind of long, and um, and that's kind of you know if Anton does go poorly or if, if i've made a mistake i kind of go back to that and then for defensively it's um finish my job so they're kind of the two um key things that i kind of try to keep to the forefront when i'm playing because if i look after my forwards they'll look after me and uh if i finish the job defensively I, it doesn't really ma- matter kind of how i make the tackle; just get it done kind of then I, I just have kind of can go back and fall back to them two things
0: would you practice visualization?
1: Uh, yeah, I do. I, I practice various different things. Um, I've, I use a uh, I have a focus coach in Galway who I use, um, and that's kind of just around blocking out um, subconscious thoughts when I'm kind of doing a goal kicking, so something popping in and trying to get an understanding of why that's happening. And then there's like a, a tool basically, you wear a headband, and what that you kind of can train your brain waves to go to a certain go to a certain way where you block out these subconscious thoughts so so it says now so um so i do that and then look i, I find the visualization at times i do find it difficult but um yeah i do i do use it and it is a tool I, the thing that i've kind of started doing is kind of constrained leg, like a constrained based training so instead of just like leaving like 10 kicks out or going for 10 kicks i might like to like jog to the next kick or kind of jog out and back get my heart rate up or, I might do something where I like to spin around in a circle and put myself off balance, and then it's just about kind of recentering myself before I go about taking that next kick.
0: And was that something that you, you know, what what factors or what elements of that did you always do? Um, did you do it at all until you became until you kind of came into the the senior ranks?
1: So I would say with like the visualization thing, it's probably not something that I um. I really thought of, but so when I was younger, I used to always. Um, there was a fella, um, a year ahead of me when I was playing soccer called Garvin Bravo. He would have played in, um, he would have like played with Belvedere in Dublin. Would have played Ireland under Fifteens when I was like a year younger. Like I remember when he was doing that, and like he was like a, a way better, more extreme, like an extremely talented soccer player, more so than I ever could have thought of being. But I always like remember visualizing visualizing going to like, sleepy, like, oh, I want to, like, do what he's doing this time next year, like, I want to be doing what he's doing, and, like, I'd never, I, I'm not a religious person at all, but I'd be, like, please, God, let me be, like, let me be, like, playing, what doing what he's doing next year, Um so I think I was always fortunate that I had, like, I know when people asked you for role model, it was more so I visualise people who are in the position I want to be in, and then I'd, like, want to, like, try to work towards getting to where they are, if you get me, um, and that's kind of the way that's probably my earliest memory of doing any sort of visualization. Barred the kind of thinking you're Roy Keane in your backyard. Um, <laughs> I think every young lad has done that. You might not have been thinking of a, a Kerry footballer or something like that, but I was thinking of being Roy Keane, like slight like back on my brothers have been trying to break their legs.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez, man, City job, like actually, yeah. man, whatever his name was. Yeah. Uh, what way, so do you think you know, in what way? Do you think your upbringing and your background shapes you into the person you are today? Uh,
1: yeah, like I wouldn't have that much of an insight into the, into out, but I think it's like obviously the way you're brought up when you're younger ultimately beats the person that you're. you're like I think it's vital to be honest. Um, like I suppose I was very fortunate in terms of unsheltered, I suppose in some sense when I was when I was younger, but I had two older sisters. I had two younger brothers, so I had to learn how to share in one sense. Um playing like football with fifteen other people, you learn kind of the the various different tools that you need to like work in a team. Um yeah, I think like I think ultimately you can you can obviously shape yourself and kind of smooth yourself out when you get to that age of like nineteen, twenty. But I think the early building blocks are definitely done when you're in them earlier years. Is
0: there any Point in time, say in your early years, that looking back now really kind of was a sliding door moment, or you yeah. know, really stands out in, in your memory.
1: Um, not particularly. I remember, like, I remember when I was playing sports, I used to have an under, have a t- thought that because I was a number 10, I had to. You know, people kind of look at various, I'm not going to name players, but they look at players who play number 10 and they think they need to think that or they seem to think that the only way of communicating with players is like true aggression and true, you know, shouting. Um, and I used to think that that was the way always to do it. But uh, when I kind of, when it happened to me and when someone like talked me out of it or f me out of it, I was like, you know, what that doesn't actually work with me. Like, I don't like when people speak to me like that. So it was when, I suppose when that happened. I th- I th- I, that was when I got a good understanding of like kind of the things I spoke about earlier that certain people take different ways, and you know how you communicate to someone. Like if I was the, there might be some players who react well to kind of being like spoken to, not like aggressively, but like kind of spoken to sternly on the pitch and like oh this is what we're doing, like we need like, and then there's other lads who like need to be kind of encouraged, like oh look, we're going to do it this way. This is why, so we're going to do it this way, and. Um, I think that was definitely something that, I won't say it's a sliding door moment, but it definitely made rugby easier for me. Um, Because I definitely want to, if you can ask, can ask anyone, when I was younger, when I was playing sports, I would have been like, real aggressive. Wouldn't have liked losing. um, And I don't like losing at all. I, I actually hate it, but the understanding of how to communicate with people, I think, was massive for me. You, we we kind of
0: spoke about this there off, uh, off air, but um. There were certain summer jobs you used to do and you to kind of help out um, at the family business. you want to give an insight exactly what, what the family business is and um, perhaps, you know, what you might do down the line with it? Uh,
1: yeah, so we, my father took over and it was a small kind of small family business that was based in out the back garden of out in the back garden of my grandfather's house uh in the nineteen fifties. Uh so he he built that in the back garden and they moved out to Monksland where the plant is now today at the moment. Um then my dad took over in geez what would have been the nineties, I mean yeah early late eighties, early nineties and then he um has built it kind of what it is today. So And yeah, I I suppose kind of whenever, when the summer didn't get, obviously do it, the summer gone, but um, I go back and I suppose, as I kind of said to you before, it's the only way you learn is kind of from being immersed in the, in the business. And it's, uh, it's not the nicest of, uh, nicest of work to be doing, to be honest, is a lot of, uh, you know, lifting like raw meat and like heavy pieces of meat and you're in like working in a cold environment and but, yeah, so a lot of, actually, a lot of young, like, fellas I would have played football with and rugby with would have, like, always under a summer job there. And, again. Like, um, so, yeah, so I did that. I would have done that. I would have then I would have worked worked in the van doing deliveries uh, most summers. And that was probably to get out of working on the floor because it was actually freezing. Um, and now, kind of, as I've got older, I suppose, uh, we have our personal development day, um, usually on a Wednesday in Connacht. and. I'm not going to say that I do it every week, every every Wednesday, but there'll be a couple throughout the year where, whether Dad had a meeting in Dublin or Cork, I would hop in the car with him and go down and just kind of observe kind of how he does, how he does business because he it would be you know he's kind of built a business to where it is today and um, he he'd be very different kind of old school in how he how he does things, but you can kind of see a lot of the things that he does, it's like it, you know someone even to drive down to Corop for a cup of coffee to see if someone's getting on. You know, I mean, that could seem alien to someone now today, but it just seems to be the way, you know, people were brought up in that sort of, um, in, that, in that time.
0: And it actually still is extremely important in business. Um, oh, possibly, you know, yeah, massively, that, that face-to-face interaction and that, uh, you know, that little gesture, albeit, it, you know, it might be out of the way, but it's definitely definitely makes, makes a difference. Um, would you say that experience as a young fella, um, you know, working in the closing environment and then going, going in the in the van, do you think that made you kind of grounded and focused and even whetted your appetite to, look, I, I don't want to be at that for this period of my life?
1: Uh, yeah, I think definitely gives a lot of, even speaking to a lot of fellas, my, my friends who would have worked there, it definitely gave them, uh, you know, uh, Pick up the arse and saying like this is they they understood what they they didn't not obviously maybe understand what they wanted to do but they had under a feeling of what they didn't want to do um so like a lot of people would have been and don't get me wrong people who work there work very very hard um but like you know some people absolutely love it some people don't um I know one of my mates was like he was in there for two weeks and he's like no, I'm not cut out for this the early kind of the early mornings and. You know working in them conditions he was he, he was gone david fagan that uh, if he's listening to this it, it's uh he was gone out of there uh very quickly Um, i wouldn't i to be honest i wouldn't say that it it shaped me into the person i am today no i wouldn't think so Um, it gave me an under an appreciation of uh, how hard um my dad worked and then how hard all the people there were Um, but i kind of always had it in the back of my head that you know, i be I would be doing something for the next couple of years, and um, whether it be rugby or kind of you know studying, and then hopefully if I was fortunate enough, I'd go into the family business when the time was right.
0: And just to 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 clarify as well, it's um you pre-packed meals, isn't it? Prepacked
1: um... uh it's kind of pre-packed, so bacon, uh, I any bacon, pork you kind of see in a lot of the um super values, um rashers, pork steaks, and then there's a uh, other uh, wing to the business, which is kind of like stuffings, marinades, uh, rubs, that kind of sort of stuff.
0: For do you deliver down down to Kerry, or is it just? Yeah, it's
1: in. So it does do a good bit of. Uh, they do a good bit of work with um, Super Value, Um that's like kind of the main main business is being built with them. And just to be honest, business has grown like immensely with the help of Super Value. Um, so I, they wouldn't be there today if it wasn't for. And they kind of grown in tangent with each other, which is which is good to see. You know, it's kind of a mutually beneficial venture. So no, it's it, it it's been great. To be fair,
0: and your your father is a massive sports uh, sports fan, and uh, I believe he was the president of Connor kind of Proby in nineteen, was it 2019?
1: He was, yeah. The year of COVID, he was he was there, so it kind of got prematurely cut short. So he yeah, he got the trip to South Africa, which he he was delighted with. So, um, Ah, he was. Uh, it was kind of the year. Was it? Was it that it Was that year? So he kind of would have missed. Um, was it the year I came back from World Cup or Was it the year after? I can't. Yeah, it was the year after. So he would have. Um, yeah, kind of got prematurely caught with the with the with COVID. So he he missed out on a few good trips. To be fair to
0: And but when you when you went into kind of there, you you know, I was bouncing this off you because some of the papers are saying you made your debut in 2012, 2013 and some are saying to those in ten or eleven. Do you wanna just set, shed some light onto that for yeah, So I
1: played I came off the bench for Gav Duffy and in twenty uh twenty ten, eleven season. And then I hadn't didn't manage to play then for another so that would have been October. I don't think I played then again to like the following September like, Yeah, it was like a good year and a bit. Um like eighteen months I think. So yeah, it was a bit strange because I actually thought I played quite well, and then was gone for another eighteen months. But uh, I suppose when I, when I saw the fellas around me, I was living with Kieran Merriman at the time. I Was friends with Robbie. There was a lot of fellas who, you know, I would have grown up and trained with, who were like excelling and kind of week, playing week in week out with Connor. And then I was, um, I was playing with Buccaneers and playing with the Eagles. So was it was frustrating at the time, but, um, but got there in the end, thankfully.
0: Would you be big into self talk?
1: Uh yeah, I would definitely yeah yeah like in the lead up to before I cap, so I used to write in a notebook every day. I Jack Hart, he would play for Ireland, and I'd write it like thirty times in a piece of paper. Um, and then I managed to yeah, I managed to do that. Not saying that that um was the reason why, but um I don't know something there's definitely something in it. Um yeah, so I, yeah, I am yeah yeah.
0: No, I think I think it's uh, I think definitely it's very very powerful and. I suppose people just kind of hate doing stuff like that because it it brings it back, it brings them back to their their childhood, you know, writing that right lines.
1: Yeah, I be I be finishing the last like I be halfway down the sheet and I be like, come on, we're almost through. Is write a straight line of words? I used, to no, I I actually did do that and then I was like, you oh, know, I'm going to do it, do it right. But like you could see at like, the top of the page, you'd be like the writing would be like really nice, and then as you came down the bottom, it was like getting like really scribbly.
0: La la la. Definitely, there's definitely something in it. Though, in fairness, like because, um, yeah, I'd be big into visualization and and motivation and dedicating as well. Um, but it's yeah, the self-talk is extremely powerful because I think as, as human beings, we, you know, we're kind of wired to to talk to talk to each other ne- negatively or talk to oneself in, in a negative manner, um, and then that leads to depression and anxiety and 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 whatnot um and eating you know eating the incorrect foods look before I, I go off topic completely um pat lamb came in then and now you've you've Andy friends um what has how has the culture changed over the, the period you've been with kind of um kind of an know if will give going into too much detail
1: um yeah i think probably um so i kind of broke in the first year when pat was there. I probably the main thing, like, uh, uh, let's like we can speak obviously about rugby in terms of the brand of rugby that we played. But I think what Connacht as a, as a organization did, they enable like the people from Connacht to, uh, to identify with Connacht rugby, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. which was like something that probably was amiss for a period of time, you know what I mean? Um, I think Pat was like was massive with that. He like you know he was very proactive in us going out to the community and us training in different places around the province. Which you know if you think about it, like it only makes sense. You have younger you have young kids then who you know come out to would watch you train, who would then in, in, inevitably go back to their club training, thinking of wanting to become a kind of player. And then you have these grassroots players who kind of came the whole way through the system. So. And um, definitely that was something that kind of, you know, it was so organic in the way he kind of went about it. Um then obviously the, the brand in which we played, like the the weather you get down here, it was going to have to be something different in how we broke games. And don't get me wrong, I suppose the way teams defended back then, it benefited the system in what we were doing, you know what I mean? Holding on to the ball, there was always kind of space to be found. And I don't think that would necessarily work now with the way team defend, it's just, it's defense to some, are usually on top of the attack, so, um, there was that element of it, and I think just the, you know, he like, there was things that you probably wouldn't, um, really think of at the time, but we had, like, a special handshake, which was, like, when you used to do it, there used to be five movements to it, and you used to, like, you used to say, like, the five provinces of Connacht, when you're doing it, so it's like Sligo, liter mail, or ongoing, and, like, like you, you didn't really understand you're kind of like "God, oh, this is like so the first thing you did to each other like you, when you met someone you'd be doing like 40 of these handshakes to every different individual but like I suppose what it enabled everyone to do was like connect first thing like you'd see someone like times where and I've had coaches before um, where like you might walk past them and you know it'd be kind of you'd be like oh well like you wouldn't even connect on a daily basis." Um, and I think that's something that Pat did um very very different um or very different to what had been there previously. You know, he he managed to get a, a group of players who connected, and then he managed to connect. Then eventually, they managed to um get the community and get the or like the province to identify with the with the club.
0: And just on that secret handshake, because so I think that's actually very interesting. I just find culture interesting um in in general, whether it's in business or. Or in um in sports, like was it just when you met the coach, or when you met one another? No, one another as well. I think Like it's mad how it's like because now you you like I went for a swim
1: there just before this with my um with Rebecca, my girlfriend, and I bumped into two Connacht players, and immediately the first thing we did to each other was fist bump, like because that's how we greet each other. Like, usually we would shake each other's hands in the sports times, but because of COVID, you like fist bump or elbow, but like. It, it was just second nature. We saw each other and you'd like fist pump each other. So it's just kind of became a thing. I know it's, it's, it is a, uh, it's in a lot of other teams now, but, um, yeah, it's mad kind of how these things kind of become ingrained subconsciously. They just become a habit.
0: And was the, the handshake, was it like you move your fingers? Like, or, or but, uh, no, I'd be like, so a handshake,
1: then you'd like, um, how would you? I'm trying to even trying to describe it yeah. so you. going like to be serious movements to it. You'd be hitting your chest and then you'd be fist pumping. So there could be like uh, a handshake, then there'd be like a lock of hands, handshake, you hit your heart and then you fist pump. You know, you have players from all over the world who come play here and then they end up, you know, like so, some of them would never even know where Oscommon is or Leitrim is. Then they're going out to see the people who they're representing and then they understand kind of the, like they they actually know the name of the provinces where who of the people are representing, and I'd like, I I guarantee you if you went and asked the players in some of the other provinces, they wouldn't even know some of the places they're representing outside of the place they're living. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that Connacht, um, which you know we're very fortunate that we've such a I guess, loyal like it's kind of it's, it's obviously close knit, and I know people kind of would go on about saying to hell or to Connacht, but um. I think it's such a close-knit community in the West of Ireland and that, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to represent them.
0: Something that I didn't know until I was actually, when I was doing research into it and um, someone told me just to to delve into the story and ask you about it, but a freak accident in Dubai, like it must've been heartbreaking. It was reading accounts of it or looking into accounts of it. It was, you were just going down a slide and,
1: yeah, I, like, I must have had a I I had been sick in January where I kind of, like, not got septicemia, but I, I had very, like, almost on a very bad blood infection, so from what they thought there, like, it's actually miraculous it didn't happen on a, on a rugby pitch, because my spleen would have been enlarged, and then as we're, as we're chatting about it now, I only got a, I only got a call earlier on that I'm getting vaccinated next week, because of obviously being in a high-risk category, so. Uh, it's probably the only good thing to ever come of oh, not having a screen.
0: <laughs> you know, make making a good uh a good uh, a good swing out of a bad best situation. Um but I suppose on you know that did you miss the whole 2012 twelve campaign? Uh, so I
1: would have missed and that happened in February. So I would have played all the games up until January and then I was bit effectively out for the rest of the season and I managed to get back for the second last our last game of the year our second last game of the year against Treviso away and then didn't play again so it's definitely like you know I've obviously played a lot of games, i played more games than I didn't in that season but I do find it hard to identify being um, a part of the team that won, like it's, it's definitely something that I, I disassociate myself with at times um, which is like, like I understand I was a part of the team and I was a part of what what we see or what we succeeded in doing, but it's definitely something that um that I if I, if I was in the position again, like I'd I'd be making sure if there was I won't be going and going away on holidays or like that again. But now it's it's yeah it's it, I I kind of look back on it. And I'm like right if I'd say if I hadn't went and had I been involved, what I have went on to get my Irish caps and like do all the things that I ended up doing and I kinda don't think I would have. So you know, I gave up a, a pro twelve trophy butn't managed to get an Irish cap. So I kinda think that it probably made me into the person I am today in some sense.
0: Definitely, definitely. And uh you know on, on that Irish cap cap, um we we touched on it earlier on that you know that he was then you found out <laughs> the true story behind the uh, transfer in Um which I again I think like it's definitely RT or Netflix should make something out of that because there's a great story there. Um what was that moment like? Uh definitely a dream come true, no doubt. But can you kinda of put can you kinda of feeling or can you attach any feeling to it or tang- uh, tangible or feelings?
1: If Anton like genuinely if Anthony was probably in some sense an order of relief. So I think I would have like looked back in my career and like thought that I could I should have got a cap and then I didn't. If if I hadn't, I think I would have been uh, would have been something which I would have probably looked back with with um regret. So in in if anything, it was probably relief that I I did manage to get it. It was a, a, a almost a sense of satisfaction as well, knowing that kind of the amount of work that I put in um that you could actually see something translate into into the hard work translate into something. And um, and it's not like. You know, it was not like one of them things where I was like, oh, "I was lucky to get that." I was like, "I knew I'd like to work my ass off to to get it." So it was definitely relief and satisfaction. I'd say would be the two that kind of come to mind.
0: Do you ever feel that the ship was gone? The ship had sailed.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I definitely did. Um, probably thought the previous summer when there was a uh, summer tour to uh, I think it was the US. It might have been two years or was it the year before to USA. Um yeah, and I hadn't been picked on that. Um I definitely thought it was um the chance is gone. So uh it was it was yeah, look, it's kinda I suppose I kind of did put a lot of work in the earlier parts that season to like as we spoke about before, writing down, you know, silly, not lots of silly things, but writing down different things and in the book in terms of I Jack Cartier would play for Ireland and then setting about my week in a in a structured way. Um and then Ultimately, try and do everything that I could to succeed and get get a cap. And then I did manage to get in in November. And the, uh, I kind of thought that I would position myself to get into the um to get a cap in November. Didn't, and uh, then managed to get one in in January.
0: And you're you're great. In fairness, you're remarkable. Um, the 2019 campaign, you know, you 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 10 caps between the Rugby World Cup and the Six Nations. I think Were you in only Six Nations that. That, um, that, so yeah. Six, eight,
1: yeah, so from the Six Nations to the Rugby World Cup of 10. Um yeah, I haven't had one since, so it's definitely something I'm um I'm working towards.
0: But something I, I I found and I thought it was interesting. Um you realized or you felt that you were mentally fatigued at the end of 2019. Can you kind of delve into that? How what made you appear or realize that?
1: Uh so after I came back from the World Cup was it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um
1: yeah, it was more to like kinda when I came back I was probably putting I put, you know, I thought I'd I went well the previous year and I was kinda of like, right, now I need to kick on and you know, let's let's push on and I'll try to become Ireland's of the first choice and I probably didn't give I I didn't give myself a, a break. and um, when I came back, I didn't you know, I kinda got back straight into training when I came back. Um, and I like it was evident to he that my my performances weren't to the level of where they they kind of were previously. Uh, took managed to get two weeks off at Christmas. I uh, went away. My girlfriend didn't think about rugby at all. Really, uh, like Andy Friend, he was like, look, you, like it was all the players who'd went to the World Cup got two weeks off. So he was like, look, I'm gonna take you out of the training group. We're gonna take you out of the leadership group, and you just like get a complete detox from from rugby. And went away, came back and I was like so refreshed and got back into playing really good rugby again. And so, yeah, it was probably, you know, it was the last thing I probably wanted to do at the time, but it was the only thing that probably would have got me back into playing well.
0: Like, were you sleeping a huge amount or were you constantly tired or not recovering? Like, what were the signs? Uh, I, like...
1: I probably, like, it was probably just the the fact that I was involved in, you know, like, I probably would have kind of seen stuff in terms of, like, the Japan game, which, you know, I I thought I went quite well in, and then, obviously, the team lost to Japan, so I probably felt complicit in in that, that, you know, that we lost, and it was my first, second start, so in some sense of the word, I probably felt complicit that I'd let, you know, this group of players who'd been there for with each other for like three, four years who had been like, had performed really, really well. And then I kind of came in, in the last like six, seven months. And then the game that I was starting in, like, you know, we ended up losing. So I probably felt a bit, um, implicit in some sense in that. And then, you know, people, you know, it was probably naive in the sense, as you spoke about before, looking at social media and stuff, um, and using that as a way for validating, um, if I played well or not, which is the last thing any sports person should do because the only people you should get validation from is your, your coach or your peers. Um, and I think that was probably, I think that was probably it, to be honest. Um, and I would have been, I would have kept motor and true if it wasn't for, I suppose, the, the things that are in place with the RFU in terms of like players getting rested and then with friendy in terms of the way he, uh yeah, he managed me through that, that period of time.
0: on on that point there jack um you know you were that 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 you know looking for validation and you know that's not to sound in in a bad way or petty way or whatever because every player does every person does it's natural how you know that you, you obviously saw a lot of stuff written about you on twitter and look a lot of players do how are you dealing with that now
1: uh I it's it's mad kind of how after that I was just like, I'm not letting this so I don't actually, you know, after a match I just kinda leave my phone in the corner and enjoy enjoy being with the lads, like text my mum, text my dad, text Rebecca, and then I, I I don't go looking for it to be honest. And like inevitably you're like you're not gonna I'm not gonna say that you don't like you, know, you don't see things when you're on Twitter, but I literally don't take I say if something's good i like literally it's the same as if it was bad just to detach any emotion from it and um, and then also you kind of have to have some sort of understanding that probably the people that are, are writing this you know firstly they're probably not mean in what they're writing in the first place and it's pretty easy to write stuff when you're kind of behind the screen as well so i just think it's it's a no-go anyways for me to be honest to be taking things like that um Taken, how would you say it? Like to be t- like you can kind of look at things. When, like when people write stuff, you're like, right? Is this true? And you're like, no. So then you're like, right? You just like swipe across. And then if someone says something, right? Is there an element of truth to this? Then you can kind of look into the look into it. But to be honest, I just, as I said, kind of previously, I don't. uh I don't. Um. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Yeah, I just like don't take on from it. To be honest, um anymore
0: what do you think you know having gone through tonight definitely every professional athlete does you know naturally uh what do you think should be done or could be done to prevent these keyboard warriors
1: um, well not even athletes i think in general the way people kind of are i think there has to be some sort of accountability from kind of social media platforms that you know you can't make these these private accounts under like different names you kind of have to have like some sort of um validation process in terms of like being an actual person and then I think probably for when you do speak to like kids or to um that there has to be some sort of like education in schools probably in, around it uh, in terms of kind of social media and stuff like that just kind of the way it can affect affect especially younger people and then for athletes probably something similar just a, a module in terms of how to deal with and um, yeah, deal with stuff online and rugby players Ireland do with stuff like that, which are, are, are very good.
0: Would you be it's funny because you you talk to some, some athletes and some would be totally for it and others would totally shy away from it. Would you be an early morning person or what way would you operate?
1: Uh yeah, no, I definitely towards my talent. like definitely would be an earlier person now, like uh say even on mornings. I'm off. Like, I, like first thing I get in the morning, is I have a coffee machine. Is like, I can't wait for a coffee. I'm thinking about it the night before. Um, I like kind of having that, then kind of that half an hour, an hour before anyone else is up in the, in the house, just to go out like make my coffee, let the dogs out, and just kind of have kind of time to myself. So like, yeah, I, I probably would be yeah. And at times, um, like I look forward to having to sleep in, and then I find myself up at like eight o'clock. So I'm just like, what am I doing?
0: What's your, you know, without giving away too much, what would be a normal um, routine before a match? Like, would you do a lot of, you know, a lot of visualisation, a lot of rolling, or what would you Uh,
1: do? Yeah, so, like, I I do scenarios with, we have a sports performance coach in uh, Connick, so, kind of, I'll do scenarios. He'll send me pen scenarios. I'll do the odd numbers myself, in terms of writing them out, in terms of what I'll do. Uh, I'll send them to him, like, tomorrow morning or the see- I'll send them to them and actually I'll probably do them after this call and uh, then tomorrow after captain's run I'll like do them face to face the remaining number- ones that I haven't done I'll do them face to face with him. and he'll kind of ask me why like okay why are you doing that I'll explain it and um, do that then obviously the day before a game uh, have a card load I've kind of got some understanding of what food work for like work for me and don't work for me I've only kind of managed to get that in the last like, year and a half. So I have a good understanding of that. Um, and then depending on um if it's a late kickoff the next day, uh, I, like, kind of hate having the full day. So if it was the game this weekend, as we're recording now, we're playing Ulster on Friday, so it's an 8 p.m. kickoff, I'll probably try to stay up that, that bit later so I can kind of have a bit of a lie-in the morning. Um, So the day game, then I'll have breakfast. Um. I'll do some stretching, foam rolling. Uh, I'll do then my focus work that I do on the with the headband. I'll listen to a focus module on headspace, and then I'll kind of just write out a few of the things that I, that I want to get from the game. And, yeah, then I'll have the pre-match chat I'll have with um, Jack Whistle our performance coach again, and then that's really it, yeah. There's loads of kind of different things in it, but they would probably they'd be the things that are there week in, week out.
0: I was going to ask you: Do you think there is, you know, having performance for coaches in in professional setups? Do you think there is a role for them and it is important?
1: Oh, like massively, you you know, you train your body in the gym and on the pitch, and then you know you do your skills. So, like, you we kind of break it down into body, craft, and mind. So you spend so much time in the gym, then you spend so much time doing crafts of like goal kicking, passing, and then mine, was there was absolutely nothing else, there was like nothing there for years, and then a lot of lads were left to their own devices. But now, kind of to be fair, I think they're the only province in Ireland that has an in house one, and um, they've got uh one in. And that's kind of, I mean, if you combine three of them things, that's definitely something that can give you a cutting edge.
0: You've done a lot of practice with say you know in your youth on the pitch, um, you know, goal kicking and all that. Or were you one of those those kids that you know would have? Would have been just constantly flat out playing different sports and just you know went through the motions and such.
1: Yeah, no, I I was like flat. I didn't have time to do anything. Uh when I was young, so I would literally would have been um going from one thing to the next. So it wasn't until I got older that I'd uh, I'd started like doing goal kicking and different things like that. Like playing, like as I said before, playing in the backyard with the brothers was probably most kind of practice I would have done in terms of whether it be taking like free kicks or in Gaelic or conversions rugby, I think they would probably be the, yeah, no, I wouldn't have have had time to, unfortunately.
0: What what advice would you give to up and coming uh, players who, you know, would like to go down the route of being a number 10? Um,
1: I would say, firstly, not to put yourself in one basket too early in terms of one sport. I definitely think like Lots of different sports complement each other, and um, so that would be probably the first thing I would do. And um, yeah, secondly, yeah, I think probably just an understanding of, like, I thought the communication thing was a big one for me Like as a number ten. I thought that was was massive. It's so probably something that gradually like young kids will probably get as they get older when they're playing rugby. And um, definitely, when you're younger, the enjoyment thing is like as as being a professional athlete, you probably in some sense, you lose the enjoyment element of it sometimes because everything's geared towards performance. So probably the three of them things, enjoyment, um, and then definitely the thing of complementing different sports, complementing each other, I think, is massive because I've found I kick the ball so like unorthodox in comparison to fellas who've who've played rugby their whole careers. I kind of kick it. I like to think I kick it like a bit like Kieran McDonald, MacDonald, um, male. So... <laughs>
0: With the highlights and the long hair, the long yeah,
1: hair, no, there. Socks, socks up like
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, I was going to ask what transferable skills would you have seen between gay football and uh, you know, and and rugby and obviously communication be probably the biggest
1: one. Um, I think the the one after that, um, especially for number 10 or 15, is the bit like it's obviously in GA, you're constantly like scanning in front of you, kind of trying to pick a pass. And I found, like, instead of now, as most rugby players do in terms of, like, they kind of scan the, like, left or right of them in terms of where the space is, I automatically am, like, looking backfield to see where space is first. So I always have a sense of kind of where space is. And so I think that's definitely the the big one for me. And I think GA Fitness as well. Like, I'm not the quickest at all, but I'd like to think that I'd be able to just, like, run – and at the one place all day. Now I know if I went back and played a GA match, I'd absolutely be skinned alive. Um yeah, so it's, I, I think I think another one as well is kind of outside of kind of the mind and outside of like skills is definitely it build a robustness for players. Um, because your like body is used to kind of being in a in a stress state of not like the obviously the demands of GA football in terms of running is definitely a lot more than it is, um, I think it's even nearly double what it is with rugby at times. So I think it definitely creates a robustness and it's certainly something that I've seen with lads who play GA from a young age um, and played multifaceted as but GA definitely, that they definitely have a more robustness and aren't uh, susceptible to injuries as much. Do
0: you think it's important for every team, really, we we'll, would we'll say from your own experience, Um to you know to undergo team building events or team building weekends or or days um what, what would be your opinion or experience of that oh
1: yeah 100 percent um we did one on the build up to the world cup and it was um you had to build boats you'd build your own boats and you had to like uh roll the boat across like a small lake and back <laughs> we've done that and in Kant we've done a lot of them in and around kind of team building stuff so in around culture in terms of kind of what sort of team we want to be you know what in terms then in terms of like voting for your leadership group um and we do a, like that's a full day like from 9 to 5 and they rent out a, a room in the Saltill hotel And um, but I think yeah I think it's massive like and even like I, I think they probably lose the, the element of like Going for food with each other, like even something as small as that, like getting a group of players going out for food or like doing something that is like taxing or mentally, like mentally tough with each other, physically or mentally tough. I know we did crop patch a couple of years ago as well. And like that was absolutely awful. Like it was <laughs> awful going up it, but like at the sense of it, like everyone kind of went through something that was difficult and you had a sense of like collective accomplishment. Um I definitely think, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's paramount to be honest, especially in the early days of a team to, to to knit new lads in to kind of see how they tick and then um, I definitely think it's something. Yeah,
0: what, quality, what qualities do do you admire in, in professional athletes? I suppose professional rugby players, really, going going through um, sport.
1: Yeah, I suppose Coach Wood, I've been fortunate enough not to have too many injuries, but I've. Unfortunately, seeing a lot of my um, teammates who have had, you know, injury after injury, who've been out for you know, months and months at a time, years in in some cases. So I think you know resilience, um, in terms of coming in like still getting their work done, um, is something that's is massive. You know, it's it's very easy for others to kind of be shitty, um, and to be negative. I think if that's probably the easiest time. To kind of be them things is when you're injured. So, um, I definitely think that. And I think a player that then, I can't probably put the word on it, but someone who's like proactive and looking after teammates as well. Like, you know, I mean, really asking the question of like, oh, how are you doing? Um, And getting kind of, yeah, getting to know them on a a more kind of deeper person
0: level. I know this might be. Um, might be catching on the hop now, but would you ever be tempted to cross the pond, cross the Atlantic Ocean, to play in the states with you know with the franchises over there?
1: Yes, one hundred percent. um, so um, uh, my brother is over playing there in um in LA now. With uh, I know you would have had Sean McNulty on the show, it's with the with the LA Guillotines and Macuto that are there. Adam Ashley Cooper. Uh, I suppose the one thing. What keeps players in Ireland is the um, the tax break in terms of when you retired is um is a, a tax incentive to retire in Ireland. I think it's, or already it's retire in Europe, if I get your pardon. So, um if I could manage to get something, I'd be gone. To be honest, uh, at the end of your career, um, if it worked out, kind of tax wise beneficial. But like seeing my brother and uh, the facilities he's training in, the players he's playing with, and then kind of the standard of life he has over there now is uh. It's it's it, when you're waking up and it's raining and shit and rain sideways. I tell you, it's something where you'd rather be. Yeah,
0: good. They're they're often in the Coliseum over there the, and yeah, the gym yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's a, a different world completely. <laughs> Jesus. Um. What what would you like to do once this you know this chapter of our professional rugby is has come to the end? Would you would you stay in the sport like or, or what's your what are you thinking?
1: Um, I've always said, uh, in terms of coaching, I probably wouldn't, to be honest. Um, not for any particular reason, but I think when I probably finish rugby, I'll like if I'm lucky enough to have kids, I'll like help they're underage. But I won't do Anton too seriously, to be honest. Um, and when I finish rugby, I look. It's kind of one of the things that either you never probably, and this is not to kind of say poor me, but it's probably one of the things that when you do play rugby you do give up things in terms of like going away and living in a different country for a period of time so that's something that I definitely like to do and if I don't get the opportunity to to do whilst I'm playing rugby and um, you know you never know you could end up being playing in France for a year or two but um if I don't get to do that it'd definitely be something that uh, I'd look at I'd look at doing before I kind of come back and hopefully uh, don't run the family business into the ground
0: and lastly, um Jack, what would be too non negotiable for you every day? uh
1: in a rugby sense or just
0: life in general, you can say in rugby as well: um, last question I'm have to catch you on yeah, <laughs> catch you: yeah, on. Um,
1: <laughs> I think going out of your way to to help someone is is massive. um I think that's probably one thing um. And I think probably then in a team environment is everyone kind of pulling their own weight and kind of not being negative and working towards a collective goal. So I think I'd probably say, not. I'm not going to say positive because I know it's kind of difficult for everyone to be positive all the time because various things going on in people's lives. But probably a thing is not to take away from from someone else, if you know what I mean.
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely, definitely. Look, Jack, I, I, I'd I like to take this opportunity to thank you for coming on the Inside View podcast and you're the, the 50th guest, the 50th episode Um, and look best look with everything that's going forward. Thank you
1: very much, Jamie. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: I hope you all enjoyed the interview with Jack. I think it's very honest, open, insightful. We get a great insight into, you know, Jack's own uh, mindset and the psychology of um, a modern day number 10 That is all from us on this week's podcast, but before we we close the podcast, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank each and everyone who has listened to the podcast, who has downloaded the podcast, who has interacted on social media about the podcast. Um, We are extremely grateful. Uh, you know, without you, it wouldn't be possible, you know, getting more people on board, more people subscribing, more people downloading. Uh, you know, that's what it all, you know, that it, that's what it's all about. And it means a huge amount to us. Also, would like to take this opportunity to thank all the previous guests who took time out of their busy schedules to come on an Inside View podcast. I personally am extremely grateful And I will never forget, you know, how he took time out of your schedules to, you know, to have a chat with me for an hour, an hour and a half. And, you know, we we are looking forward to catching up with you when, you know, when the restrictions allow to in in the next couple of weeks. And again, from me, Jamie, the host of an Inside View podcast and founder of On The Ball Team Building. I'm like, I'd like to thank each and every one of you. If you're listening to this now. Thank you all for taking time out to come on the Inside View podcast. That is all from us on this week's podcast. Please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to be part of the show in any way possible. And um, please do follow us on social media. Uh, you know we've we've offers at the currently for for the corporate and sports teams who'd like to get away with their colleagues, get away with their teammates in the next couple of weeks when things you know when the restrictions allowed to. Um, feel free to contact us on instagram at underscore on the ball team building over on facebook on the ball team building over on linkedin it's on the ball team building over on twitter at we are on the ball two it's at the digit two and we're also on tiktok on the ball team building alternatively you can email us info on the ball team com. Feel free to contact contact us. We can tailor a package to suit your needs, and we will. We can guarantee that you'll have great time on on the Dingle Peninsula and in Kerry if you come down. It'll form stronger on and off field relationships. Have a lovely week, and be sure to tune in again next week with another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe, and remember, cred on a fin. Talk to you all soon, and thank you all for listening.